Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt. I am here with Ken Ham, um, on, and on this episode, we're going to be talking about creation and evolution, and and uh, just kind of some of the the ways in which we can talk about or have conversations about evolution coming from a, a six day creation perspective. Obviously, Ken Ham was a well known person, um, but for people who don't know you, do you want to kind of give a, a brief introduction as to who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, I am the CEO and founder of a ministry called Answers in Genesis, and we're well known for taking a stand on uh, a literal genesis. Uh, Now, some people misunderstand who we are by thinking that our major emphasis is on a young earth and talking about creation, evolution, and so on. But our major emphasis is actually on biblical authority and the message of the gospel. So a very evangelistic organization. I was a school teacher and started in Australia in the public schools and really started to realize that my students need to be able to think critically about what science is, what it isn't, its limitations in regard to talking about origins. That's a very different topic than, you know, mixing chemicals together in a laboratory or something like that. And uh, so I found that for a lot of those students, what they were taught concerning naturalism, evolutionary ideas and so on, really was a stumbling block to them thinking you could even listen to the Bible or, Hmm. you know, the claims of Christians. And so I started to do a lot of work on answering their questions. And Hmm. out of that actually grew a ministry to churches and to the secular world that Hmm. started in Australia and uh, moved over to the States in 1987 uh, worked mm. with the Institute for Creation Research for seven years. And then I always had a burden to build a creation museum simply because when I took the students to secular museums, <laughs> uh, they were always from an atheistic perspective. And yeah. I said, well, why can't we have a, a different perspective from a mm. biblical perspective? And so uh, we actually opened a creation museum uh, in northern Kentucky in 2007 and then in 2016, opened the Ark Encounter. They're the two leading Christian-themed attractions in the world. Wow. And we nice. have 30% non-Christian come, and we have people from all different backgrounds wow. come, and we give them all sorts of answers. So we teach apologetics. We're an apologetics mm-hmm. organization, so we specialize in general biblical apologetics, creation <laughs> apologetics, to equip people with answers to defend the Christian faith against the secular attacks of our day. And the whole purpose mm-hmm. of why we do what we do is evangelistic. It is mm. to proclaim the truth of the Bible and the message of the gospel. Mm. Yeah, I mean, look, when I was in high school, freshman biology class, I, I actually failed freshman biology class um, in, in Madison because I refused to write down the answers that they were telling me to write down on the test. So, And most of that came from that when I growing up, my dad would have us watch videos. It's a lot of videos that, of you talking about creation and, and different ways of looking at evolution. But I, um, so, so this is really fun for me. I kind of was saying that before the podcast is that I get to talk to you actually and, and have a conversation. But I think um, I guess the main thing that I want to talk about is obviously as the world becomes and as America becomes more and more progressive and liberal and young people are much more progressive than even 25, 30 years ago, the, it feels like the assumed, um, perspective on origins is an evolution, evolutionary perspective. That's just been how it has been my entire life. And it almost feels like if you're not in either more rural areas or even Southern areas, like I'm in the North, I'm in a progressive city that the, the concept, the young earth concept or the idea that the Genesis could literally 
B, what it says is, is what it's like way out there. And so I kind of want to talk about how we can even begin to engage those conversations with the younger generations um, as they have no fundamental concept of maybe biblical authority or six day creation. So I, I wonder, my question for you is kind of how much have you seen the, through the generations, things start to shift and change um, as people, I guess, discuss biblical authority and how that relates to evolution and creation? Well, uh, that's like a, a hundred questions. To, I know, to sorry. Yeah. Uh, but, but to give you a bit of a summary, um, first of all, you know, there's been a, a change in America and the whole Western world, actually. But mm-hmm. let, let's look at America. Hey, if you go back to the 70s, uh, uh, sorry, if you, if, you go, if you go way back in America to the 1700s, mm-hmm. uh, you'll find that about uh, 75, 80% or more of people attended church. Whereas mm-hmm. now, Generation Z, you're down to less than 9%. So we have seen a generational loss from the church. There's no doubt about that. Uh, about 85, 90% of kids from church homes go to the secular schools. And by the way, when I say secular, we could say public schools. They call public schools in America or secular schools. A lot of people have the wrong idea. They think secular is neutral. From a Christian perspective, there is no such position as a neutral position. Uh, you're either for Christ or against. You're either walking light or darkness. You build your house on the rock or you build your house on the sand. There's no neutrality. Mm. And so we shouldn't get the idea that secular means neutral. And in fact, people also have this idea that, for instance, if you're an atheist, uh, that you don't have a religion. Well, that's not true. Mm. Your religion is your worldview. It's your way of thinking. Everyone has a worldview. And those who have an atheistic worldview, it's their religion, it's their belief system, because your religion determines how you look at right and wrong or Mm. or good and evil, how you would determine your uh, way you live, uh, how you view others. Uh, So they have a a system of belief about everything. And so Mm -hmm. they have a religion. So secular secular schools are religious schools. Everyone Mm -hmm. has a religion. I mean, for some people, that'll be a radical concept, but they need to stand back and think about it. Everyone has a worldview. The secular schools, by and large, have thrown God out, the Bible out, creation out, uh, and so on. So they teach from a perspective of naturalism. Well, naturalism Mm. is atheism. In other words, you can explain everything by natural processes. There's no supernatural. That's your religious position. Mm. And so we've had generations of kids who've been really indoctrinated Mm. in naturalism, in evolutionary naturalism through the public Mm. uh, education system. And, And unfortunately, many church leaders have actually endorsed that system and said, yes, you can believe what they believe, just trust in Jesus. But for many of them, they recognize it, what they were taught at school, you know, evolving from uh, some ape-like ancestor and uh, evolution over millions of years and so on, contradicts with a, a straightforward reading of the Bible in Genesis. Mm-hmm. So therefore, that can't be true. How can the rest be true? And there's been an mm-hmm. undermining of really biblical authority. And so mm-hmm. many of them end up have walked away from the church. In fact, I published a book back in 2009 when we did research on why two-thirds of young people were leaving the church by the time they reached college age and very few are returning. And the book was called Already Gone. And in, in that research, we found out when we asked those uh, young people, why did you leave the church? It really came down to 
well, because, you know, I didn't get my questions answered and a lot of it related to issues of science and evolution and so on, and you can't really trust the Bible, uh, which shows very clearly that churches have not been teaching uh, these generations how to defend the Christian faith. And uh, many of our church leaders said you can believe in evolution millions of years and add it to Genesis. But many of the younger generations saw that as being inconsistent because once mm. you do that, what you're really saying is the text of Scripture can't be trusted. Mm. Uh, and particularly when that yeah. same text of Scripture is quoted in the New Testament by Jesus and uh, other, uh, you know, of the apostles and so on. And mm -hmm. so uh, what's happened is we've seen this generational loss. So now we have generations today that have come through a system that is so much more atheistic, much more atheistic than when I went through the public education system. And uh, they, if anything, the Bible's been taught against or mocked. We live in a different time. I mean, generations ago in America, if you went into the secular schools and said God, most people would think, oh, the God of the Bible. That's what they would think of. But you say God today, and it's, well, there are many gods. Which God are you talking about? And if you say Bible, there are those that don't even know what the Bible is, or uh, many of them will say, isn't that an outdated book? It's a book of mythology. We can't trust it. Science has shown it's not true. So if you're going to um, you know, have conversations with these generations today, you, you can't use the typical Christian jargon that a lot of Christians use. You can't assume that they understand the basics of Christianity or anything like that. I see many people today in our churches that will approach such people and say, you know, well, you're a sinner. You need to repent of your sin. They don't even know what sin is. Mm. And for many of them, uh, Christians today, when they're, they're dealing with, you know, some of the social issues, moral issues of the day, it could be gay marriage or the abortion issue or gender issues. They'll, they'll come in look from what I would call the top down saying, well, that's wrong. Well, that's sin. Well, you shouldn't do that. That is not the way to approach these people. And the, the way to approach people is it's, it's sort of like building a house. You know, when I'm talking to anybody about any anything, ultimately, I'm considering building a house. And what do I mean by that? Well, you build a house, you don't start with the roof and then the walls. You've got to start with the foundation and then build the walls and then the roof. So if I'm talking to a, someone who has rejected the Bible or, you know, one of these younger generations today that are, are just steeped in, you know, a, a sort of an atheistic type worldview, I can't come in there and start from the roof. In other words, you know, uh, de dealing with those issues and say, well, this is wrong and that's wrong you know, because I'm a Christian, I've got to come in and help them understand, well, why do you believe the way you do? Where did you get your ideas from? Because, you know, my ideas come from this book called the Bible. Uh, even if you don't know what it is or reject it, it claims over 3,000 times to be the word of God who knows everything, who's revealed to us uh, truths that we need to be able to build the right way of thinking. And I can explain to you what my views are about marriage and gender and so on, because mm -hmm. I start there and I admit I start there. But where do you start? Why do you believe the way you do? You know, if you don't believe the Bible can be trusted, why do you believe the Bible can't be trusted? What, mm. what, what are your objections? What are your reasons? And so you've got to do what I would call, you've got to talk foundationally. You've got to be thinking foundationally. You've got to challenge them foundationally. Because if we don't have the same foundation, I mean, ultimately, I would say there's only two foundations, God's word and man's word. You either start with God's word, God who claims to know everything, who's always been there, doesn't tell a lie. That's where I start with that foundation. If you don't start there, well, you start from man's word. And 
if we don't have the same starting point, we're never going to agree on our worldview. Uh, our worldviews are going to be different. And so there's going to be a clash there. And so a lot of times I think what happens today is Christians are clashing with non-Christians at the worldview level where we've got to understand we have different worldviews because we have different foundations, and that's mm-hmm. how we need to be dealing with these issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder as you're talking about the, you know, the um, public schools or, you know, like you can call them like government schools too, you know, just whatever people call them, but the the secularism that it kind of, it, the, the faith, the faith required in secularism assumes, assumes a morality for some odd reasons. I've tried to, I try to like try to figure out where that morality comes from within secularism, which some might say like from natural law or something like that. But wh- what's the, uh, what's the moral authority to the secularist? Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and when they say natural law, what do they mean by that? Do they mean yeah. a law that evolved? And if it evolved, did it evolve the right way? Has it evolved mm-hmm. all the way? Is it only halfway evolving right now? I mean, mm-hmm. where are we at? And what if some have evolved more than others in, uh, in certain areas and mm-hmm. and they see it differently? And so, you know, when it really comes down to it, when you build your thinking on naturalism, that there's no God, then philosophically they have major problems and that is who decides what's right and what's wrong it becomes Mm -hmm. very relative it's all subjective and Mm -hmm. you know when i was debating bill nye when i walked him through the uh, life-size arc at the arc encounter uh, Mm -hmm. just after it was open back in 2016 Mm -hmm. uh, i asked him how do you determine right and wrong? And he actually said by a consensus of the tribe. And I said, well, that means there can be different tribes who have a different consensus. And he said, mm-hmm. yes. And uh, so then I said, so it's all subjective. It, it, it's all relative. And you mm-hmm. can have different, uh, you could have a different morality, if you like, uh, in, in different groups, depending on who decides what's right and what's wrong. And mm-hmm. And uh, so, and, and then I, I said to him, yeah. for instance, you know, if somebody said types like you are dangerous, so I'm, I'm going to get rid of you, you know, mm-hmm. kill you or something like that, is that right or wrong? And he said, well, it depends. <laughs> and because it's all relative, you can't come out and say, uh, yes, that's wrong. You know, so, so you don't think you would say that like Nazism is objectively wrong. I, I didn't know. I would watch that video a couple of years ago, and I I knew that he was somewhat antagonistic towards most of the things that you were saying. But that's that's wild that he wouldn't say that something like you know Nazism is wrong. Getting rid of all of the Jews is objectively wrong. I think when yeah, you know, the interesting thing is they they get very inconsistent, is what I find yeah. because. Those that do not have a basis in absolute authority of God's word will always be inconsistent. There will always be inconsistencies, you can point out. And so, you know, I've talked to such people. I didn't ask Bill Nye that specifically, but sure. I would think for political reasons, uh, you know, and and uh, where we're at in that culture, I would think he would say, well, that is wrong. But then philosophically, uh, how does he uh, justify that? Because ultimately, mm-hmm. on the basis of his other statements, ultimately he can't. And uh, and that's a big problem that they have, you know. So where they can say that their morality evolved, but if it evolved, how do you know it evolved the right way? And it's the same for your logic. You know, if you say you evolve by chance, random processes, by natural processes, that means your logic evolved. How do you know your logic evolved the right way? And what if somebody else's logic evolved uh, differently? Because according to evolutionary ideas, different people who – 
you know, people evolved in different ways as different races and some are lower and on the middle scale, some are higher on the middle scale. Yeah. That's what Darwin taught if you read his book, uh, The Descent of Man. And so yeah. there is a, a, a real issue here. And so that's that's the conflict that we see today because, you see, if you start from the Bible, from Genesis, God made marriage, Genesis 2, 24, right? The President of the United States or the Supreme Court justices didn't create marriage. Right. Ju- uh, God created marriage, and the marriage God created was a man and a woman. It says in Genesis 1, 27, he made them male and female, which means there's only two genders. Now, if you start from the Bible, that's very obvious. But if you reject the Bible, then what's marriage? You can mm-hmm. make it to be anything you want to make it to be. And it's, it's interesting to me that what we're seeing happening in our culture, culture used to be permeated by Judeo-Christian ethic, which came from the Bible, which was why most people, when you said marriage, would think one man, one woman. Uh, And when you talk about gender, that's a two genders, male and female. But once you abandon that, and what's happened is that the Judeo-Christian ethic no longer permeates our culture. Now we have generations who've been taught that uh, you base your uh, morality, you base your worldview on man's word. It's we decide truth. We decide what's right and wrong. That That's that's the God of identity that we see today that's prevailing in the younger generations. It's all about us, who we are. We want to determine who we are. Uh, we decide uh, what we can do and, and what we uh, determine is right and what's wrong. And once you get to that position, then you can redefine everything. And you mm. see, really what's happening is Everything is being uh, redefined in the sense they're redefining what God created. So mm-hmm. uh, God created gender. Now we're, we're seeing that redefined. God created mm-hmm. marriage. We're seeing that redefined. God created man as having dominion over the creation. That's being redefined. Now we're seeing creation having dominion over <laughs> man. And so, you know, you, you, you see elements, though, which, which are interesting. Like when you talk about gay marriage, uh, where they talk about two uh, two men or two women. Why two? Actually, two actually comes from the Bible because God made Adam and Eve. I mean, mm. marriage comes from the Bible. If, if there's no God, there's no such thing as marriage. So why shouldn't it be anything with anyone, with any what or whatever? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, and, and and now you have polyamory, that sort right. of thing. Yeah. Uh, because what they're saying is why shouldn't it be anything with anyone? And right. it's interesting. I I said many, many years ago, uh, the more that a culture abandons God's word and the more that we say man determines truth, then you'll eventually see people even trying to uh, normalize pedophilia. And people said, no, yeah. no, that will never happen. Well, we know we see that being happen, happening mm-hmm. before our very eyes today. They're, they're talking about it. And, uh, and, and see, once you determine that man is basically good, whereas mm-hmm. the Bible says man is basically bad. I mean, <laughs> the Bible's account of man is the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. But once you say man is basically good, then that'll that'll change your whole way of approaching, mm-hmm. uh, you know, criminal activity or evil or how you approach mm-hmm. any issue. And so we're seeing this incredible conflict today of worldviews because we have generations that have been indoctrinated to believe it's all about you. It's all about self. You came about by natural processes. You own yourself. You determine what's right and what's wrong. And actually, mm-hmm. that goes back to Genesis 3 when yeah, the tempter, right. the devil, came to Eve and, and Adam and said, did God really say, in other words, don't trust God's word, 
you can be as God, you be your own God. And what we're seeing today is generations saying, I am God, that's my identity. I am who I am, I determine what I am. And, you know, we even get to the, the stage when, you know, when you get to that stage uh, of abandoning uh, God as the absolute authority and man determines whatever he wants, you find so many things that are just so illogical, things that mm-hmm. are ludicrous, things that are absurd. Like now I, I saw just recently there's a word for those whose gender can change a number of times during the day. It's whatever they feel during the day, and now they have a term for that. I mean, it just shows you how absurd this is getting. Because do you, you did know, you read the book uh, "The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self" by Carl Truman? No, I don't know that. that he it was he essentially basically breaks down what you were saying just philosophically that he like breaks down and asks the question how do we get to a place in society in which people can say I'm a man trapped in a woman's body, and then everybody else affirms that, and he goes through like two hundred some years of philosophy from Rousseau to Rousseau to Darwin right. to all these guys all, all the way through. And and then kind of it all culminates in what he, like he calls expressive individualism and that like your, your true self is expressed through who you are as an individual on the inside of you, not on the basis of out, out or external, uh, external laws. And so as humans, we don't have to conform to the external laws that God put that had God has placed around us, but rather just to the internal feelings, and essentially everything that you're just saying, which is, it, it is, it's, it's an interesting, it's, it's interesting in that, like, what naturally happens when people start to, uh, I think when people start to make their identity into what is true absolutely true is that they have to redefine things that were you know meant something for thousands of years like marriage i just i was always wild to me that people could take a a term that meant something for like tons of civilizations for thousands and thousands of years and just say like today that changes (laughs) i just don't know where that it can it can be all summed up by one verse from scripture you know judges 21 25 when they had no king to tell them what to do, they all do what is right in their own eyes. Sure. And that's okay. what's happening. When there's no absolute authority, when you are the absolute authority, then you do what is right in your own eyes. Mm-hmm. And there's another aspect of this from a Christian perspective, and that is that today we're told, for instance, if you take the gender issue, mm-hmm. right, um, even LGBT people by and large will say, yeah, your biological sex is set. I mean, you know, males have... A pair of XY sex chromosomes, females have XX, and your biological sex is set, but gender is what you feel. But Mm -hmm. from a Christian perspective, we have to ask the question, can you trust your feelings? And the answer is no. You can't Mm -hmm. because we have a sin nature. And that's why uh, Scripture says, you know, your word have I hid in my heart so I might not sin against you. Mm -hmm. You know, in other words, we need to know the absolute authority of God's word as Christians we recognize God is the absolute authority, not us. Therefore, we need to judge what we feel. We need to judge our behavior against the absolute authority of God's word because we can't trust our feelings. And an, an example of this is when God spoke to Cain. You know, Cain uh, had anger in his heart and he killed his brother Abel. But before he killed his brother Abel, God warned Cain, Cain, mm-hmm. sin's desire is for you. In other words, it wants to master over you, but uh, you need to master over it. Uh, and God was warning him, don't let sin master over you. All of us have a sin nature. You know, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I quoted before Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So we need to recognize that our sin nature wants to master over us. That's why we need to be conformed mm-hmm. to the image of 
the Lord Jesus Christ. And Scripture says daily because we need to be looking to Christ. And, you know, we can have strong temptations because of because we can have strong feelings about things, because of our sin nature. But also Scripture promises us, for those who are Christians, that we can overcome any temptation in Christ. We look to him. We look to his word to overcome those temptations, no matter how strong they are. So those feelings can be very strong. And, you know, I'm sensitive to the fact that people can have strong feelings and temptations. But nonetheless, it, and it's only the Christian that will understand this, and that's the point. Mm-hmm. You know, non-Christians won't, won't get this. Um, that's why the solution to all of this ultimately is God's word and the gospel. That there's no other solution. That's the solution. Until people build their thinking on God's word and understand who they are, and they are sinners, and understand that we need to receive the free gift of salvation, uh, and and then build our thinking on God's word of a biblical worldview. Until we do that, we're not going to be able to deal with these issues. But as Christians, we need to recognize we should be daily conforming uh, who we are to the to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be judging our behavior and feelings against God's word and let God be the absolute authority, not us. But that's the bottom line. That's what it comes down to. Again, right. does God own us or do we own ourselves? Right. And I think, well, I, th- I want to relate this then to the, to the, as you talk about biblical authority and God's word, obviously there's the, the big question that then comes about as it relates to, to Genesis one and in, in the creation story and that um, w- what is God's word defined by uh, God's definitions compared to, you know, the, the, the way of looking at, I think it was called theistic evolution is like, okay, you can look at Genesis and, um, a day maybe means a million years or 5 million years. It's hard to, you know, interpret it. And it's very ambiguous and postmodern. Um, what you, do you want to break that down a little bit for us? Just how people can think through the origin story in scripture on the basis of, of the biblical definitions of the words, not on the basis of maybe postmodern definition. Yeah, I can do that. And um, Andy, before I do that, I want to challenge you on one thing. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. And uh, that is your use of the word story, right? Because the word story is a word that has changed meaning. And in our modern vernacular, when you say story to most people, they think of something that's not true. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Fiction, man. And so I always challenge people in today's world. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, we would be in church and just say, let's have a Bible story. And you think, yeah, something true from the Bible. Mm-hmm. But today we we have kids who would say, oh, we have stories at church. We learn real mm-hmm. stuff at school. Can I say um, that's – I lo- okay, thanks for calling me out on that because I – I listen to Jordan Peterson sometimes, and as as he goes through the Genesis and Exodus, he's constantly calling these biblical stories, mm-hmm. and yet he doesn't view them as objectively true. He sees them all as psychological or mythologically true. Right. And and and, and I've thought about it's like why, why so story you know it, it's almost like we're viewing the Bible as a bunch of like uh, movie scripts and things yeah, like that, something you know? like that. That's yeah. why I would say we should use the word account or record of. Sure. So okay. the origins account, the yeah. origins record, because the Bible is a record of history. Mm-hmm. It's God's history book to us, and that's what I like to remind people. Yeah. This is God's history book to us. Over 3,000 times the Bible, Bible claims to be the word of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, as Paul says in Thessalonians, it is in truth the word of God. It's not the word of men. Now, God moved men by his 
uh, spirit to write down his word for us. But it, 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 all of this, and, you know, when you're talking about theistic evolution and so on, it really comes down to how you view the Bible, first of all. Is it God's revelation to us, to all people for all time? I mean, when, when you read in Scripture itself, it says, forever, O Lord, uh, your, your word will, will stand. And, you know, God's word doesn't change. Uh, and, you know, Second uh, Timothy 3 says all Scripture is inspired or God breathed. Uh, and, and so looking at uh, Scripture it's, itself, uh, it, it claims to be the word of God who moved men to write his word. It's a revelation to us for us to know who we are, where we came from, uh, and, and so on. And so first of all, we've got to say, if this is God's revelation to us, then we need to be letting God tell us what he's saying. And that's an important point. In other words, yes, everyone has to interpret what they read, right? Mm -hmm. um, but if someone's giving you an account of history, you, you know, if, you, if you're reading an account of history of World War I or something like that, mm -hmm. you don't want to go in there and impose your ideas upon it. You, you're taking this as um, the, the, the language that it's given to you in, um, the rules of grammar and so on, to let it speak to you in the context of uh, of the literature, uh, so that you can understand that history. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, if it says, you know, this plane dropped this bomb at this time, you don't try to interpret that as meaning something <laughs> right. totally different. Right. You take right. it as meaning what it, what it says. It's like coming up to a stop sign. You don't look at the stop sign and say, I wonder <laughs> what it means. Wonder how I should interpret that. Mm -hmm. And uh, like some people, you interpret it as it means don't stop. And so right. then you can have a right. problem, right? right. A so, roll sign, you know, you just roll through it. Yeah. Now, uh, there's another point we need to make here. And people will say, well, are you saying we should take the Bible literally? Well, it, well, mm -hmm. okay, now we, now we need to define something. We need to define the word literally. What do we mean by literally? Because the Bible has different sorts of literature. I mean, Genesis yeah. is apocalyptic literature, which means it has lots of symbolism in it, right? A lot of people need to realize that. You can't take, take uh, did I say Revelation? Yeah, that's Revelation I, has yeah. is apocalyptic literature. You can't take it the same way you take Genesis. Genesis is written as typical Jewish historical narrative, and it's quoted as such in the New Testament. You know, Matthew 19, Jesus quotes Genesis 1.27 and Genesis 2.24 um, as his, history to build the doctrine of marriage, uh, that sort mm. of thing. Mm. Uh, and, and Genesis has a typical uh, barb consecutives, and God said, and God saw, and so on. Um, you go to the Psalms, that's typical poetry, they're poetic. Mm -hmm. Now, Genesis, if you know, if you say uh, some people claim it's poetry, it's not. It's not written like the Psalms. It's mm -hmm. very different. It's written as historical narrative. There might be little bits of poetry here and there, like when when Adam said, "This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh." That's sort of poetic. Um, mm -hmm. But Genesis is an account of history, and so we need to take it as written. And if you take it as written, uh, for instance, take the days of creation. The Hebrew word day, if you look up a Hebrew dictionary, the Hebrew word for day is yom. And whenever yom is used with evening or morning or number or night, it means an ordinary day. And in Genesis 1, uh, for the first day, which it says one day, it doesn't even say first day, it says one day. In other words, it's defining the word day. There's evening, morning, 
number and night. Uh, and then for each of the other days, you've got evening, morning, number, you know, evening and morning the second day, evening and morning the third day. And so they're qualified over and over again. They mean ordinary days. And in fact, if you look at Hebrew lexicons like Brown Driver Briggs or Kola Baumgartner or, you know, any Hebrew dictionary, it'll give you examples of where day means an ordinary day, and it's in Genesis 1. Now, the word day can mean other meanings too. Can can uh, For instance, in Genesis 2.4, it says in the day that the Lord created. That means time. It's like in the day of the yeah. judges, time. Mm-hmm. We do the same thing. Back in my father's day, it means mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, or I'm at the office during the day, the daylight portion of a day, or it took me five days to drive from California to Kentucky. Uh, mm-hmm. That Then that's five 24-hour days. And so the word day in Hebrew is like the word day in English, has different mm-hmm. meanings dependent upon context. So it's context that determines meaning. Mm-hmm. And in Genesis 1, the context for each of the six days are ordinary days. And it, mm-hmm. in fact, that fits with Exodus 20 verse 11, which is the basis of the fourth commandment, which says in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and he rested on the seventh day. Uh, that's where our seven day week comes from. It's based on the days of creation in Genesis. Seven mm-hmm. day week doesn't come from astronomical observations. It comes from mm-hmm. scripture. So if an atheist has a seven day week, they're really saying, see, the Bible's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't realize that, but that's what, that's what they're <laughs> yeah. saying. Right. And see, when you look at uh, why is it that there are so many Christian leaders that might say they believe God used evolution or they believe in millions of years or the days are long periods of time? They're actually starting outside of Scripture with man's ideas mm-hmm. of man's beliefs and they're taking them to Scripture and reinterpreting it. Mm-hmm. And if I can make a distinction here, because I had someone once say to me, but look, in the church, you can have different views of eschatology, you know, end times, you know, R-mill, pre-mill, post-mill. Mm-hmm windmill, whatever, you know, different views of eschatology. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I said, yeah, you can have different views of modes of baptism, sprinkling by immersion, different views of speaking in tongues, different views of Sabbath day. I said, yeah, that's true. You know, obviously they're not all right, but yeah, you can have those different views. And they say, well, you've got different views of Genesis. It's the same thing. No, it is not. No, no, no. If you can understand the difference here, you'll get what the issue is. When you're arguing about different views of eschatology or baptism or speaking in tongues or whatever, primarily you're arguing from Scripture. You'll say, well, the Bible says here, yeah, but over here it says this. Ah, but taken in context, you've got to see this. Yeah, but over here it says this. I mean, that's primarily what you're doing. But when it comes to Genesis, the reason you have different views of Genesis, like progressive creation or threshold evolution or, or um, you know, theistic evolution or gap theory or framework hypothesis mm-hmm. or whatever it is, you're starting outside of scripture with man's views of origins concerning millions of years that came out of naturalism, actually, and, you know, Darwin's evolutionary views or whatever, and you're going to scripture to fit it in. So you're changing what it says. You're trying to fit mm-hmm. something in there or reinterpret it based on outside ideas. And mm-hmm. that's the issue that has undermined biblical authority. So what do you, so when I, so I'm, I'm doing kind of like a series on the gospel of John and obviously John chapter one is, is uh, it's not a poem, but it's poetic. And, and, and in some ways, I guess some theologians would say that that is parallel to Genesis one in, in kind of the structure of it, you know, in the beginning, in the beginning, they kind of start similarly and they, and they move on apparent, I guess, po- poetically, not meaning that it's, that it is a poem, but just poetically. Do, what is, 
the relationship between i think people will say in the if something is poetic it's not objective or it's not like a, a narrative or historical account it how would you um well, I wouldn't call John po- poetic. I mean, okay. that, that's a history document written by John concerning mm-hmm. Christ. I mean, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that mm-hmm. have similar and uh, accounts in regard to yeah. Jesus um, yeah. from different perspectives. And no, course, I, I was just saying John one, chapter 1. J- just the first chapter they say is poetic, not the entire book. I, I, why, I don't know if you, why do you say it's poetic? Is it written like the Psalms? Is it written in typical Jewish poetry? I guess what? so. I guess what I've so, and I'm not exactly sure. So I've so I interviewed like a couple of theologians on this, and and they said that it's it's a poetic in its word structure. So like in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's like a very poetic way of speaking, but it's not it's not necessarily a poem in the same way that you well, said well, like. Who, but Jesus yeah, is the word, right? Right, right. And right yeah, in, right. In the beginning, God. Mm-hmm. So in, in the beginning was the word. Mm-hmm. So God, who is God, the father, God, mm-hmm. the son, God, the Holy spirit. In fact, the time, first time the word God is used there in Genesis one, it's, it's, um, it could be called a uniplural noun. In other words, mm-hmm. uh, it's singular, but plural. Uh, sure. and, and it means God is one, but more than one, which is really hinting right there at what we would call the Trinity mm-hmm. in, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the beginning was a word. Remember Colossians one says by him, all things were created talking about Jesus Christ, right? Mm-hmm. So Jesus mm-hmm. Christ is the creator. Uh, and so in the beginning was the mm-hmm. word. Jesus said, I am the word, right? He's the word mm-hmm. and the word was with God and the word mm-hmm. is God. So Jesus mm-hmm. is the creator. He is a member of the Trinity mm-hmm. and he is God and he mm-hmm. is the creator. So, uh, that's right. giving a true account right. of who Jesus right. is. Mm-hmm. Right. Just because something's poetic doesn't mean it's not true. Yeah. That's that. Okay. I, that makes sense. What, um, so I, I have to ask this question that I think, I think is an inter- interesting question. And I, um, kind of about the, the idea that, you know, evolution came about. And as far as I understand, and maybe you can correct me on this, is that the, the theistic evolution perspective is that, uh, you know, the evolutionary process happened and then they ended up at an Adam and Eve like fi- figures. And then the fall happened after that. Is that correct? So uh, millions and billions of years, Adam and Eve now exist, then they fall. And then the, the rest of the biblical narrative happens. Is that the correct way of looking at it? Um, from whose perspective? From the, th- from the, 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 the theistic evolution perspective, not not the biblical perspective, but yeah, and I, there's, you know they have different different people have some different mm-hmm. ideas on how all that happened, um, mm-hmm. but uh, some of them don't even believe in in the fall the way we would believe in the fall. Really, um, so hmm. you know the Bible makes it very clear on day six of creation, God made Adam and he made Eve. I mean, we, we, we're told he made the male and female, and then in Genesis 2, we're actually given a detailed account of how he made man from dust and how he made woman from his side. And uh, then he gave them an instruction not to eat the fruit of the tree. Uh, then along came the devil in the form of a serpent that uh, tempted them. Uh, Adam took the fruit. So Adam gets the blame for sin. Um, God warned them that if you do this, you will die. Uh, so... Uh, then uh, spiritually they died immediately separated from God and physically 
Um, Adam took 930 years to die. I mean, when it says die, it says dying, die. In other words, you will definitely die. And he definitely mm. did die. It took 930 yeah. years, but he definitely uh, did die. And, and, of course, we call that rebellion the fall. Mm. Now, <clears throat> the death is a result of the fall. So Romans 8 says the whole creation groans because mm. of sin. Now, if, if for theistic evolutionists, they would say that over millions of years there was death, uh, bloodshed, struggle, and so on, leading up to man. And at some stage, God took you know two maybe ape-like creatures or whatever, and somehow uh, maybe using mutations or whatever turned them into you know Adam and Eve. But then, what did the fall do? Because you've already got death, you already got disease. Right, right. I mean, in the fossil record, not only is it a, a record of um, of dead things, but a lot of those dead things show evidence of diseases like cancer, abscesses, mm. arthritis. You're saying all that existed before Adam sinned. So what did sin do to the world? And what right. what, is, what, is it, what does it mean that Adam sinned? You know, we all sinned in Adam. By one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin, uh, says in Romans 5.12, and all we have sinned, we've sinned in Adam. So what did sin do? If, if you believe in theistic evolution, the world we see today has gone on for millions of years, and God's responsible for death and bloodshed and disease and suffering. Then why does the Bible say death is an enemy? Why is it going to be thrown into the lake of fire? If there's going to be a restoration uh, in, with the new heavens and new earth, are we going to be restored to death and struggle and, and suffering mm -hmm. and disease? Or is it mm -hmm. going to be to, if you take Genesis as history, uh, to a perfect world where mm. you know originally the animals were vegetarian read genesis 1 mm. verse 30 man was told to be vegetarian so animals weren't eating each other if you're going to say there was diseases like cancer then god calls cancer very good because after he made everything he said it was very good mm. there's so many so many problems and inconsistencies with those mm. who add man's evolutionary ideas to the bible yeah. and then try to come up with a way of explaining Adam and Eve and so on. And and by the way, Andy, you know, yeah. um, I just want to reiterate something here. You know, when you read John chapter one, it says the word became flesh. Mm. Is that poetry or is that real? No, is that that's real, real right? right? It is. Yeah, it, the incarnation. You, when you go through, it's all about Jesus. Gen mm -hmm. John chapter one is all about Jesus mm -hmm. and beginning, uh, you know, with, with the word in the beginning, it's, yeah, it's, it's referring back to who he is. He is God. Mm -hmm. uh, that's who he is. That's what the emphasis of, of John chapter 1 there is, that Jesus is the creator, that he is mm -hmm. God, and he stepped into history to become a man. And so, yeah, it's, it's certainly referring back to Genesis in the sense of in the beginning, but J John 1 is not poetry. Yeah, for sure. And and I guess um, one thing that I'm curious about is we said, yeah, there's obviously no death in Eden before pre-fall. Uh, was it like plants dying or, you know, as, as animals are eating plants and things like that? What's your take on that? Well, there is a there's a Hebrew word nephesh. And it, okay. it, 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 it means life spirit, and it applies to man, it applies to animals, does not apply to plants. Mm. Uh, plants were given for food. They don't have a life spirit. They don't have a nephesh. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. And we would say, you know, bacteria don't have a nephesh mm. uh, and, and, and so on. Um, and so plants were given for food, but animals were not. You know, for man, it wasn't until Genesis 9-3 after the flood. If you read... Genesis 9.3, it's talking about man, but it says 
just as I gave you the plants indicating, yeah, Genesis chapter mm. 1 verse 29 means vegetarian, so mm. now you can eat everything, you can eat all things. Well, Genesis 1 verse 30 is written in the same way for animals, and that mm. is the animals were to eat plants. And so originally, all the animals were uh, vegetarian. And so, uh, you know, you can actually, you, you sort of get a sense of this. You, you think about it. If you go out into a forest, you know, took your girlfriend or your wife out into mm -hmm. a, a, a forest maybe, you know, on a mountainside overlooking, you know, a nice valley and you sit there, you can sit on a dead log and you could really enjoy a sunset or something like that. Hmm. But if you saw a dead rotting deer, you wouldn't take your wife or your girlfriend and say, let's sit on this dead rotting deer and <laughs> right. enjoy. There's something different about animal death to plant death. And sure. I, I think we can sort of even sense that. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And obviously, we got to wrap this thing up. Um, but the yeah, this is all really interesting stuff. I think that there's obviously we didn't get into much science, which is fine because there's a philosoph there's philosophical and theological reasons as to why the authority of God is 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 the objective truth. And, it, and, and, it is and Andy, I know you mentioned science. I just mentioned very briefly because I know we have to finish this uh, pretty soon. But um, sure. When I debated Bill Nye in 2014, yeah, you know, he said, "Oh." Um, this is all about science versus the Bible. And the first mm. thing I did was say, we have to define our terms. Right. Because what does the word science mean? I mean, the word science comes from the Latin scientia, which means to know. So it basically means knowledge. And so <laughs> when Bill Nye says it's science versus the Bible, he's saying knowledge versus the Bible. What does he mean? Right. And a lot of people don't realize that when you're talking about origins, beliefs about the past when you weren't there, that's very different to talking about a scientific advancement in the present time that builds our technology mm -hmm. because our technology is built on the basis of empirical science or observational science where you can test and retest and experiment and do things to enable you to obtain knowledge to build technology hmm. but when it comes to talking about origins you didn't see it happen yeah. and so that's why i said to bill nye you and i could both go to the grand canyon and we could agree this is a canyon we could agree this is a layer called the Coconino sandstone. Mm -hmm. We could agree on how uh, uh, big the sand grains are and their average size. We could agree on how thick the coconut sandstone is, but where we disagree is when it comes to when was it laid down, how fast, because mm -hmm. we didn't see that happen. And so mm -hmm. what you observe directly, that's observational science, and we can agree on that. Where we disagree is historical science or your beliefs about the past. And a lot of people have been brainwashed mm. uh, in this way that the same word science has been used for evolution millions of years that's used for technology. And yeah, so people right. wrongly think, well, if I don't believe in millions of years in evolution, then I'm denying the science that built technology. And that's where they're wrong. That's where right. they have to understand the word science can have different meanings. And you've mm -hmm. got to understand the difference between historical science and observational science. And that's a yeah. whole other topic, but uh, yeah, I just want sure. to introduce that briefly. No, that's great. I mean, I think we saw a lot of that over COVID as well. The, the trust the science, yes. tr and there was yeah. no uh, empirical evidence as to what they were saying, telling us to trust. But anyway, the uh, okay. So this is really interesting. Obviously, a lot of really cool things, and we probably could talk forever about all these different things. But kind of thank you for coming on the podcast and, and doing this. I I really appreciate you you coming on. This is awesome. 
Well, cool. our pleasure. And I hope and it then, challenges people to think about these issues. For sure. And then people find uh, answersingenesis.com, right? That's the... Um, yeah, answersingenesis.org is the best way to get org. to it. Yes. Okay, best answers way to get to Answersingenesis.org. Yep. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks for coming on and thank you all for listening. We'll see you guys in the next one. Goodbye.